Welcome to the Devoted Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Shaner, and I'm here with my co-host, uh, Pastor Ben Heffernan. And uh, we are excited uh, about this next uh, few episodes. We're going to be going through uh, what we titled The Journey Through the Book of Matthew. And so we're excited. We're going to go through the, the whole book, in not in necessarily verse by verse, but... Um, you know, as we go through this journey, we will uh, dive deep and we'll give you puzzle pieces to use in your personal study. Uh, you know, we're going to be looking for applications in the text and, and hopefully um, as you are with us and you're reading along and listening along that uh, you will grow closer to the Lord through these, um, these study times. And so we're excited for you to be with us in this group. And we're going to dive into Matthew uh, chapters 1 through 2. And we're going to really kind of look at um, a little bit there's of the Christmas story, as well as we're going to kind of pull out some applications and some things from God's Word that are just going to, uh, I know for us, have just is eye-opening. And it's really beautiful to see the pictures that God has put in His Word uh, just to show us that how much he loves us and how much he cares for us and um, just uh, allows us to just think about who he is as a king. And so we're going to look at that in these first two chapters here of Matthew, uh, kind of looking at his kingship. And so um, as we dive right in, uh, we're going to be looking at how the, new, the, uh, the book of Matthew is going to be basically a bridge. It is a bridge... Uh, that bridges the Old Testament with the New Testament. And that's one good thing about God's Word is that it's just one continuous book. Uh, there is no divisions. There's nothing that separates one thing from another. And that is how God has written His Word, just to flow. And to the point that it is so simple that even a child can understand. And it's so complex that even the most um, just intense of scholar theology and thinking minds can comprehend it as well and dive in. And so that's one thing that I love about God's Word and how we can share it and we can just study it out. And we're excited that uh, you're along with us through this journey through the book of Matthew. And so, um, Pastor, what what are we going to look at and how are the dynamics of this chapter? And, um, you know, take it away. Just where, where is God leading here in the book of Matthew? Oh, man, I am thrilled to death to look at God's Word. And I think one of the most important things when we open up God's Word is we can't get caught up in our own ideas about what's important. Um, we have a certain mentality or we have a certain thought process, a worldview, really, that uh, we live with every day. And when we come to the Bible, oftentimes we feel like we're walking into a foreign, <laughs> a foreign place and uh, it, it doesn't always make sense to us what the Bible is saying or why it's saying this or those things. And so our goal is to try to unlock and so that this scripture is less foreign to you. And uh, the most important, I think, is when you come to the Bible, don't come with your own ideas about what's important. Let God tell you what's important. So when I look, up the, look into the book of Matthew, opening chapter, I don't have to look at it and say, um, oh no, a list of names and, and Nahsan and Salman and you know Reka, you know I'm, I'm stumbling over these things and I get get bogged down. You're like, what in the world's going on here? Uh, that's not exciting drama. A list of names, and yet 
it's extremely important to understanding God's story. And so God, whatever, if you'll have this mentality as you're reading God's word, that everything that's here is important. I may not understand what's important about it, but it really truly is. That will give you the right mindset to understanding God's word. So as we, um, as Caleb mentioned here, we, we open up to the book of Matthew and we begin to start reading here. And we find that this is the first book of what we call the New Testament. This is a, there was a 300 year gap between the Old Testament um, in which uh, it, it begins with the story of one person, Jesus Christ. And the life of Jesus, it wants, the scripture wants us to know, is rooted in the plan of God seen throughout the Old Testament. And uh, so he starts off the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And those, those two characters, David and Abraham, become key fixtures. Why? Because Jesus is fulfilling many predictive prophecies made hundreds and even sometimes thousands of years before his birth, and particularly to these two men. And so what we find out in this opening 17 verses is the genealogy, or we can call it the bloodline of Jesus. And it goes all the way back. So why is this significant? Why would we start here? Um, when we list, look at the names that are on this list, it's, it's the story of the Jewish people. Genesis chapter 12, we find Abraham, the beginning of the nation of Israel, and Isaac, and Jacob, and, and Judah is mentioned here. And then you find the story of Boaz and Ruth, and then David, and then Solomon, and king after king that are mentioned through here, though sometimes the spelling's a little different. They're the same kings from the historical narratives of all the kings of Judah, and ultimately leading up to the great tragedy of Israel's history when the Babylonians came in 586 B.C., and they conquered Israel and removed their king from off the throne and deported the people from the land. And so it's actually mentioned here. So the key markers are from Abraham to David, and then from David to the carrying away of captives of the Babylonians, and from the Babylonians to the coming of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ is that significant in terms of the outlining of Israel's history. And so what we look here is the line of the king started with David, and it went all the way down to the, the carrying away of captives in Babylon, and yet, the, the line of the kings did not die. They were not cut off. A lot of times, the kings sometimes would be killed, and their sons would be killed, and there would be no more. The whole, their whole line would be ended. But that did not happen to God's promise to David. And so that line of kings lay quiet, continuing through the years, man after man, though they were not on the throne, until it comes to a key man named Joseph. And it's really Joseph's relationship to Jesus that's of great importance here. And Joseph becomes a main character in the, the remainder of this first chapter. And what's fascinating about this genealogy is that the word begat, uh, just the, the father relationship of a father having a son, occurs 39 times in com complete succession, one after another. But when it comes to J Joseph, it says, Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. And so it's very important in this genealogy that something stands out, that G Joseph's relationship to Jesus was not the same as the other father's relationship to their sons. In fact, the Bible is just saying that he was just the husband of Mary, 
And it was through Mary of whom that Jesus is born. And so Jesus is such a special person that he was not conceived in the normal process of a man and a woman coming together. But it was really God's spirit that unites the pre-existent Son of God with the beginnings of a small little embryo, a human body in Mary's womb. And he grows and he has a, um, uh, the, uh, the same, uh, the, the full humanity of a human person. But the reality here is that uh, he does not have a human father in that sense. And so this uh, is a startling truth from which you would start off with a story, a great miracle. Uh, and we turn the, to the latter part of this. Joseph finds out about this, and he's engaged to Mary when he finds out that she's expecting. And he knew that he was not the father. This was not about fornication between Mary and Joseph. And so he assumed the worst like any human would do. But God revealed to him in a dream that he should accept this son, Jesus, because really what was taking place is a fulfillment of a prophecy from Isaiah 7:14 that God predicted a virgin would conceive and bear a son and this son would be Emmanuel which means God with us this is not a normal human being this is a human being that is God incarnate on the earth and so the climax of this opening story is that J Joseph believes God's message to him and obeys God by adopting this son as his own and that adoption ceremony would take place when the father would call the, the name of the son. And so when he called his name Jesus, he was basically taking him as his own. And this is the whole point of this part of the story is to say, this is how the God-man, Jesus Christ, has the right to rule over Israel and the world. Because he, he has now been accepted into the, the right to rule. Joseph had that right. Now it's been passed on to this person, this man, Jesus. He is the seed of Abraham. He is the promised son of David. So, Caleb, what do you think about this as we turn to this beautiful chapter in the opening? What stands out to you in terms of application and things? I, I like to just think about, you know, the, the whole story here. It's, it's, it's kind of focused on Joseph. Um, you know, it, it hones in on his faith. I think that's what's really key, and that's what really God really wants us to see here is that that faith. Um, you know, Joseph, you know, in verse number 19, says that Joseph, uh, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. So whenever he found out that she was going to be bearing a son, and he knew that this wasn't, he, he didn't fully understand the whole what was going on. Um, so he, he was he was a just man. He knew that he did not want to, to ruin her reputation. He didn't want to just make her a public example. He didn't want to just just blare it through the streets. So he was just he was just gonna put it away and and deal with it in private. And so as he was thinking about it, you know, he you know scripture talks about how an angel of the Lord appeared uh, unto him in a dream. And so, you know, saying uh, to fear not and, and then to take Mary, thy wife, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, she'll conceive in her is, or which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. 
and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now, if you notice, the word Jesus is all caps. I mean, every letter is capitalized. And so, which signifies this is the king, someone important. Whenever you see a letter that is capitalized, especially with a name, it is auto, it is it is of importance. Uh, whenever you look at, uh, well, we may get to it later on, but you kind of focus on the word God. You'll see God with a capital letter that is talking about God in reference, God in heaven, versus God, little g, which is um, the gods that we make here on earth of our own uh, fleshly materials. And so... It's all capitalized, signifying in great expectation, this is the king. I mean, it is announced right there to Joseph. Um, and then you you, uh, you go on, and, and Joseph, he, he said, okay, you know, he's, he's uh, I'm going to take this by faith. This is what the Lord wants. Uh, Isn't God asking a lot of him, though? I mean, in terms of, had Joseph ever seen a virgin give birth? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I no. I mean, I don't know. Scripture doesn't say. Yeah. But it is amazing just the whole story. You know, God, we can see God does what he does best. And he works in the unseen. And that's why it takes faith. Because when we take faith and we step out by faith, it is then we can't see. And then therefore we have to believe. And therefore we have to put more trust in God. You know, I mean, you, we can put a blindfold. I could put a blindfold on you and say, all right, now navigate out of the studio and walk to your car. You're, you're you're gonna be you're you're gonna stumble you're gonna trip you're gonna hurt but if you take the step of faith and trust that I have already set the path and that I've and then you trust my voice and I'm not gonna make you turn into a wall therefore you're gonna actually get there to your car safely and without any harm done to you physically so there we see you know faith in full as um, in that aspect of Joseph and Mary taking faith, knowing that this is the Son of God in the flesh, and so, and then they call him Emmanuel, which is God with us, being interpreted, and it even says it there, uh, God with us, and um, and the word and the name Jesus means God saves, and so we kind of start seeing some puzzle pieces being put together here if you kind of study it out, in that here we see a king. He's come to save, and we as uh, as, as uh, fleshly human beings, as his creation, when we accept him into our hearts for what he did on the cross for our sins, therefore we take the step of faith to believe in God. I mean, you can kind of start putting the puzzle pieces together, and it gets really exciting at that point. Um, but also, you know, Emmanuel, God with us, is, you know, is very key to this time of year because you know there's those that have lost loved ones here recently this year and hearts you know we do we pray for those that have lost those uh, those loved ones and those that uh, won't be with us during this time of year but yet if you're saved and you 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 know you know Christ is your savior you can know that God is with you and even though you may not know Christ as your savior and you're searching you can still know God is there and he wants to be with you. And he wants you to accept him. And that's what this this season's all about. Yeah. It's not about uh, Santa Claus. It's not about the gifts that we get or the gifts that we give or the beautiful lights. That's all fun in the moment. But it's really about what Jesus Christ did 
and the story behind it and how we can apply it in our lives. And so, uh, I know that's kind of a long explanation for the question you asked, no, no, it's a, but, um, no, it's good. They're in the aspect of, I think about it. I'm sure there's probably some people listening to us when they hear the aspect of the virgin birth, they scoff. Uh, but the reality is the first person who found out about it, I mean, Joseph wasn't expecting a virgin birth and he was no fool. And Mary wasn't expecting a virgin birth, and she questioned about the physical impossibility. And Joseph assumed the other explanation of, of uh, you know, that there's moral infidelity. And yet, if we're going to say this great reality of God breaking into humanity, when we're, we're talking about something beyond the meta, what you can ex- explain in the physical universe, <laughs> we're talking about something supernatural. And wouldn't it be fitting? I, I step back in amazement and say, no, I, I do believe the virgin birth because it seems like when you when you see it from God's perspective, that's the perfect way for it to bring in someone who is preexistent and uh, from all of eternity, God himself coming into hum- humanity. This is a, this changes everything in human history. This is what we changed our whole dating system based off of. This is where Christianity comes from. It's the, Jesus Christ and him coming, taking on human flesh. And uh, so I think it's a beautiful, fitting aspect. And, and in reality, it wasn't something that God made up on the spot. It was actually something that he prophesied 700 years before Jesus came. Right. And so to me, that says God's validated. It's not that we walk blindly when we sit walk by faith. Our faith is rooted in the word of God. And that's what he points them to when even in the dream, when he says, this is behold a virgin uh, shall be conceived, and uh, then he, when he understood that scripture, then he knew um, the significance of this person, God with us, Jesus come to save us from our sins. It's a fitting introduction to this world, and uh, points to the greatness of his person. So, mm. Yeah, it's good. It's really neat. So, well, shall we move on to chapter two and Let's just ex- examine uh, a little bit of that aspect? We come into. So we've setting it up. He's given us the genealogy from David and seeing that he's the king. The, the next chapter begins to point us towards the aspect of him being king. But who's going to acknowledge him? Who's going to bow down and worship before him? And we find here in this opening chapter that God sends some men. They're called wise men here, like the magi from the east. And I, I, we don't know all the, you could ask a lot of questions about the text and we can't answer everything and get into all the details. But I kind of speculate that these were men that might have been impacted by Daniel and uh, been from Babylon where Israel was held captive. Um, and I, I suspect that these were Gentiles, though we don't know that for certain they could have been uh, Jews. But the fact that he says he that is king born, born king of the Jews sounds like that they're looking at this as they're Gentiles knowing that he is the king born to these Jewish people. And so they come and they, they had seen a special signal. It was a star. And this star had communicated to them that a king was born and that he was a king of the Jews. That's three pieces of information from a star. We don't know exactly how all that was communicated, probably through some sort of constellation or, or uh, super uh, beautiful um, uh, you know, a, a meeting of the, the heavenly bodies. And those who studied them would have been able to understand the significance that God had laid out in the stars. But that's a little beyond what we can get to in this part. But the point here is they say that he is the king of the Jews and they say, we are come to worship him. And right off the bat, we are seeing the right response to this person. 
It's worship. And so they just needed to know where he was born. And the religious leaders knew where the Messiah, their king, was supposed to be born. And so that when Herod demands for them to find out, they say, well, we've got a prophecy in Micah 5.2. This, again, written in the time of Isaiah as well, 700 years before he was born. And they have this, it says, Oh, but thou, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, art not the least among the princes of Judah? You're nothing special. You're a small inky-dinky town. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. They were going to be incredibly significant, not because of their size, but because of who was going to be born there. And this was the hometown of David. All the kings besides David were born in Jerusalem. But David was born in Bethlehem in the smallness of the Davidic dynasty. And there's a signal here that God is rejuvenating the David kingly line that had fallen through the Babylonian captivity. And so we see this aspect that points to this rulership idea of governor who shall rule my people Israel. Now we see on the other side, a man of infamy for his ruthless wickedness, a man named Herod who had the title king in the text three times in verse one, three, and nine. He feigned a desire to worship, but inwardly he sought to eliminate any rival to his rule. And so the Magi start out for Bethlehem. The star went before them and stood over the place in Bethlehem, possibly the very house where Jesus was at. I'm not sure exactly how that would have been communicated, but it was a divine confirmation to them. And they rejoiced to find the king. And we see what they did. They paid homage to him as the king, and they gave him gifts worthy, gold worthy of a king frankincense, acknowledging possibly the priestly role or the, even the very aspect of submitting the priestly aspect to the king, the king being deity before them. And then myrrh, which was actually a foreshadowing of death in a burial spice. And so there's beautiful aspects that are telling the story of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And then a, a key sequence of events unfolds at the end of the chapter. The wise men don't go back and tell Herod because they've been warned of a dream. And God warns Joseph to flee Bethlehem because Herod will kill, try to kill this king. And ultimately, the things that work out, Herod's attempt to kill Jesus and by killing all the boys that are under two years old, and Jesus escaped to Egypt and returned later after the death of Herod, they all fulfill scripture prophecies. Three times it mentions in these last parts here that it might ful fulfill which was spoken by the, by the Lord, by the prophet. It was Hosea, Jeremiah, and possibly Isaiah there at the very last one. And so this is kind of the summary of saying Jesus is fulfilling the scriptures. He is the king. And the main aspect of it in terms of the, is we must worship him. We must bow down before him. I think what's interesting about the wise men is that, you know, two things kind of stand out. If you kind of look at it in the application aspect of it is that the first thing is there's a searching and a longing in the heart, in the human heart to know and be known by God. Well, we see that today, you know, you, you know, in this world, everybody's trying to pretend there's somebody they're not. And the reason for that is to get attention, right? To be known by people. They want to be recognized by people. And that's just in our heart. That's something natural that is in us. And so these wise men, they want, they know about God. They know God. They know, they've, they've known, as you can read in the text, they've known about this from the Old Testament texts. 
and they're in the prophecies and, and they've been looking and searching and longing yeah. and then boom there it is yeah. and they're exceedingly great you know with joy because they're like this is it this is it this is it like a child ready to open up their christmas gift wow. i mean they're excited they're happy and they go right and then as they're looking they want to be known by god which we come to the second part the second thing that we can think uh, see here is that the wise men that um, are seen in this passage they did not come to see their king in the sense to gain something hmm. they came to give yes. something to the king yes. and if you look in those gifts specifically they were not cheap gifts yeah. they were not just you know little dollar tree gifts nothing against dollar tree but <laughs> you know what i'm saying here yeah. they were expensive they were something that you would give to royalty gold is a signification of royalty of kingship uh, frankincense and myrrh they were used um, as ointments they were used as in, in the embalming process they were used as even fragrances as such as like perfumes again something that only the higher ups the kings and the governors would have just signifying they gave that to a child they gave it to the king they didn't come saying hey we this is what we want you to do we know you're the king this is you know as we do in our prayer sometimes we pray and we say god well, i need this when was the last time that you gave to the king something yeah. important good. of worth yourself your heart your ideas your thoughts you know uh, taking and saying the money that you're given the 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 gifts that God blesses you with are you willing to give those back sometimes we do the whole I'll tithe but or I'll give but it's gonna hurt because I you know I kind of like that money in my account I can do something with it but in reality it's giving back to God what he's given to us and that's just as an example saying God this is yours this was never mine to begin with. I'm only I only have it because you gave it to me. And so, you know, just having that mindset, we go from Thanksgiving, a time of giving thanks for what God has given us, to, oh, here's my wish list. This is what I need and want, and which again, it's all it's all good. And, you know, there's nothing negative unless your heart is focused upon those items to the point that you forget what God is trying to do um, through this time of year. And showing again his birth and just the examples and, and the applications we can draw from this these thoughts of this passage again we see Herod Herod wanted nothing to do I mean you start reading the top you know a few verses and you see Herod's like inquiring mm -hmm. and as you're reading you're like oh okay you draw the conclusion he wants to see the king too and as you're reading you're like oh man he's really the villain you know he's he does not he, he he's taking Jesus as he's wanting my throne jesus did not want an earthly throne he, in fact he was king he's king of the universe he, he he doesn't need that little peasant's throne but herod couldn't see past himself and so what happens is that he was a king and he saw he knew because he also inquired the exact same thing that the wise men were inquiring so he knew of the prophecies but he rejected god as king and saw himself better than God. And so... It's kind of interesting there because there really is no middle ground. You either come like the wise men and worship before Jesus, or you seek to kill Jesus. 
And it's kind of interesting in that aspect, but that is really the story because the people who rejected Jesus are the people. That it, it wasn't that it was Herod who wanted to kill him in that story, but at the end of the story, it's the Jewish people who have rejected him. And really, it's all those who reject Christ and all of our sin that has put him upon the cross. And so we have to, uh, in our sinfulness, we reject, we want to kill the king. And that's really the, the story of of the rebellion of mankind. Herod encapsulates the raging of the world in, in rebellion. And I think there's an aspect we can summarize our society underneath that is, it's just like Herod, we're raging against the king. And the only way to come to truth and knowledge is to submit to Jesus Christ and to present yourself to him. That's the, the, the dividing line for every human heart. Mm, it is. And so as we take these truths and as we study out God's word, um, I know we're excited to, to do this, but we're excited that you're joining us. Um, you know, I mean, there's nothing greater than studying God's word. There's nothing more fulfilling than whenever you start letting God show you these things. And so for yourself, you know, don't, don't listen in on, on these podcasts and just brush by thinking, oh, okay, I did my, I did my 30 minutes of devotion. This is to supplement like a vitamin. Whenever you take a multivitamin, there's usually a bunch of vitamins in one pill, right? And so you have your daily Bible reading, you have your, uh, your prayer time, your fellowship in church with other believers. And this is just another part of the dynamic of the vitamin. Uh, something that you can listen to at work or on your way to wherever you're going. And so we hope that you've enjoyed this episode, uh, journey through the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapters one through two. And uh, we look forward to having you join us uh, next week uh, for part uh, two. 